let's go ahead and we're going to get ready to get into our series called Won't You Be My Neighbor? And get your Bibles out or your phone or whatever you use to follow along, and I'm going to pray. But I want you to lean in with expectation today, and I challenge you to do that uh, every single week if you can, because I believe that, that God does something to the level of our expectation. And so, God, we just thank you so much for what you're going to do in this place today. And we know that we've already felt your presence and your power. But, Lord, we just pray right now that we would have open hearts. Lord, I pray for every single person that there would be a receptivity on the inside of us, that you would do something down in the deep places of our spirit, of our heart, of our lives, at the core of our being, that maybe even might bring a new paradigm, a new way of thinking about things and looking at things from this point on. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so here's our story. We're in this famous story uh, that we know of as the Good Samaritan. How many of you guys have heard of that before? The Good Samaritan story. We've been following along. This guy begins to question Jesus, saying, uh, okay, how am I supposed to you know, live right? And he says, you know, okay, do all these things. Love the Lord with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. All that stuff. And then Luke chapter 10, verse 29. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who's my neighbor? Now, again, how many of you guys know it'd be easy to love your neighbor if everybody was normal, right? <laughs> if nobody was weird. That would be the easiest way to do that. But since we know that's not the case, then it's a little bit more tricky. So Jesus tells them a story on how to do this, like to give an example. So Jesus replied, he says, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and he saw him, and he passed by the other side. And so likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was and saw, when he saw him, he had compassion. Now, again, Jesus uses this example, not of the priest or the Levite being the good guy in the story, but of the Samaritan, who the Jews really didn't like, as to really be the hero of the story and to come in and to save the day. And we've looked at this story from all different perspectives in the past several weeks, but I want to do something today. And I want to look at the story maybe in a way that you haven't looked at it too carefully before. And I want to look at it from the perspective of the beaten man who's left on the side of the road half dead. That's what Scripture tells us. Now, he's laying there. We don't know, like Jesus is just telling us a story, but we can kind of fill in some of the gaps that this guy doesn't know whether he's going to make it or not. He doesn't know whether he's going to live or die. He doesn't know. And then all of a sudden, somebody comes by. He may have even recognized the person coming by. Oh, this is somebody from my church. This is some, a leader from my church. And he comes by and he's like, okay, finally, help. We don't know how long he's been out there. But then finally, help is on the way, but then the, the person passes right on by. And it's like, maybe, maybe they didn't see me. Maybe that was just a fluke, whatever. And then here comes another person from the church. And sure enough, he passes on by as well. And there's, he's still left there. And then comes the Samaritan who's, who's not supposed to like him or help him, and he helps him. And, and how do you guys know this person may have had some issues to work through when it came to relationships and people that he knew that he thought was going to help him but now did not help him? How many of you guys have ever been there before when you thought somebody should have helped you but turns out they did not help? Anybody? Come on, be so bold and brave. Sometimes even, I dare say, even from the church. 
So this guy is, is wounded, he's beaten, he's on the side of the road, he felt like everyone abandoned him, and yet this is kind of a picture of the body of Christ. I mean, we are supposed to be the body of Christ where we're supposed to be connected to one another. We're supposed to be known by our love for one for another, right? And, and this guy probably had to rethink all of that. How many of you guys have ever had a moment where you had to rethink some of that before, right? And so, so this guy has a choice. Am I going to participate in the church and in what God is doing, or am I going to step aside? And there's a lot of people who are making that choice. Many people, you know, the, you realize that the local church is still God's plan A? Let, let me just say it a little bit stronger. The local church is still God's plan A. It's still the vehicle of God on the planet used to extend his kingdom. It expresses itself in many different ways, no doubt. But God isn't abandoning his plan just because there's problems. God is still wanting to use, this is called the body of Christ. And he wants us to be a part of local expressions and then wider expressions of the body of Christ. And it's still God's plan A. And yet, if I were to take, like, like, like sometimes we, we don't participate in the body. And there's many different reasons why. Let me just share a story that kind of illustrates this. Uh, a few years ago, I was playing basketball with some of the guys, and somebody threw the ball really hard, and I decided I'm going to try to stop the ball. And I reach out, and instantly, I mean, instant pain, I mean, all over my hand, I drop to the ground. I don't want to feel like a baby, you know, but I'm just, I'm on the ground. I'm, I'm in pain, you know. I know something's happened. And, and, uh, so eventually like my hand like swells up, it starts turning colors later on. And, and I never go to the, and went to the doctor. How many of you guys are that way? It's like, ah, it'll, it'll fix itself. Right. Like a little dirt, rub it on it. It'll be fine. Right. And so eventually the color goes away and it turns back to normal color. The swelling goes down, but it wasn't healed. Okay. By the way, I did finish the game. Okay. Just want to let you know that I did finish the game and, uh, and we won by the way. So just a little footnote. Um, but so, so what happened is no one really, no one knew that my hand was most likely fractured. I didn't know that, but I could tell because of the, the, the effects. And so what happened is it started to heal over time. But then listen to this. Every time I would come to church, for some reason, there's this expectation that I shake your hand. I don't know why it is (laughs) or give you a hug, you know, because I know some of you guys are huggers, right? So But I would come in, and every weekend I would start shaking everybody's hands, greeting one another. And let me tell you what happened. As soon as my hand would start to heal, I would come into church and I would shake people's hands, and it would it would injure it all over again. I'd go back for the week, it would start to finally feel better. I would come back into church and I would shake people's hands, and I would here's what would happen: I would start to avoid certain people's handshakes. Because some of y'all have firmer handshakes than other people. And so I would find creative ways to avoid you. And so I would just, you know, maybe you didn't notice this. Maybe you did. It really doesn't matter to me. But I eventually (laughs) found ways to avoid people's handshakes. Because every time I would come into this place and I would shake hands, my hand would get re-injured. And so I eventually started to avoid people. Do you realize that's what we do with pain on the inside? Some of us have been wounded, and you wouldn't know it on the outside. But if I were to take an x-ray over my hand, you could have seen that it was fractured, but none of you could know that. 
And so what happens is when many of us are not participating in the body because we're fractured, if I were to take an x-ray machine, a giant x-ray machine over Journey Church, how many fractures would I see in this body? How many times would I, I see some people who maybe would avoid, you come to church and you've been injured, and so before long you start avoiding certain people. You start avoiding the situations. Again, I understand why we do this, but, but some of us have pulled back needlessly. And this broken and beaten man had a decision. Was he going to heal up and re-enter, or was he just going to stay there? And we have the same issue that we have to deal with. And here's why it's important. Because Jesus tells us to pray some amazing, crazy prayer. And most of you know what the prayer is. It's found in Matthew chapter 6. Watch this. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, it says, Pray like this then. Have you guys have heard this before? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How many of you guys have heard that before? How many of you have thought about that a little bit, though? Do you realize what Jesus is asking us to pray? He's asking us to pray that whatever heaven is, whatever's in heaven, whatever heaven is like, whatever heaven's about, the power of God, the majesty of God, the glory of God, the, whatever heaven is, he's asking for us to pray for that to happen right here and right now. Not someday, today. That's an insane prayer to pray. If you don't think it's a crazy prayer, then you're not paying attention to what he asked us to pray. He said, I want you to pray that heaven would come to earth at least in a little spot where you're at right here and right now. So that we could almost get a taste of it. That's, an, that's a crazy prayer. In Revelation, we talk about heaven coming to earth like for good. He's talking about not, not that now. But he's talking about a piece of that now. Like what if a part of that happened now? And, and is there anybody here that if you could actually taste some of that, you'd be all right with that, right? I mean, wherever you're at. Like if I could have heaven on earth right now, that would be awesome, right? And, and the only thing I can describe it to, we just got back off vacation and... And for some reason, years ago, we, uh, we decided to stop into, uh, on our vacation, we decided to stop into a Krispy Kreme on one of our vacations, right? And, and we had never been really to a Krispy Kreme before. The kids had never been. This was years ago. And so they, they, had, never, they had never been before. And so we went into the Krispy Kreme and saw the whole conveyor belt and saw all of the, the sugar and all of that stuff. And it was all just, I mean, and, and the hot sign was on. How many of you guys know what I'm talking about? I mean, you're almost in revival right there if the hot sign is on. You're, you're on the edge, right? And so we went in there, and for whatever reason, it became a tradition for us to go to Krispy Kreme on vacation because we don't have one here in the immediate area. There's some, a few miles, you know, you have to drive to. So it became a thing. And so it became a thing. It wasn't vacation until we went to a Krispy Kreme. And so we had gone on vacation. We went out to Jackson Hole a couple weeks ago. We looked all over the place, could not find a Krispy Kreme. Finally, we're on the way home after like a week, and a half, a week of vacation. We have not been on vacation because there has not been a Krispy Kreme. And so we did a search, and we found a Krispy Kreme in Omaha, Nebraska. 
And so we went out of our way to go to the Krispy Kreme in Omaha, Nebraska, just so we could finally be on vacation two hours from home. And we did, and we had, and we were finally on vacation. But, but the reason I mention that is because what I think of what God is saying when he says, I want heaven to be on earth. It's like, it's like if God put a heaven franchise out on 152. And you could go into this heaven franchise. And again, I compare, you know, heaven as close as we got to compare is Krispy Kreme. I mean, that's, it's either God gave us that or the aliens. We don't know which, but it's, it's one of the two. And so, uh, no, but I, I think that the way I picture it, I mean, when you have a franchise, if you go to Omaha, Nebraska, or if you go to Independence, or if you go wherever, you're going to get the same experience of Krispy Kreme because they got the conveyor belt, they got the drizzle, they got that shower of sugar. It's like awesome, right? And you go in, and if the hot sign's on, you know revival's about to happen. And so, but it's like, what if God put a heaven franchise out on 152? And you could go into the building, and it was as if you were in heaven. Do you realize that is what God is asking us to pray? He's asking us to pray that heaven would come to earth. And do you realize that God wants us to be heaven franchises? See, the church is supposed to be a foretaste of the future way. The future way things will be in heaven, the future way things will be, the church is supposed to be a preview of that. So that when you walk into the church or you become a part of the gathering of the church, you, it's as if you've walked into the heaven franchise and you can experience what heaven is like now. Guys, I'm preaching way better than you guys are getting it. I'm just telling you right now, okay? <laughs> this is about as good as it gets, Okay. You, I mean, this is what it's supposed to be like. So that we could say, in the world it's this way, but when you walk into, but, but in the church it's this way. In the world it's one way, but in the church it's a different way. And let me just, let me just say it in a way that maybe you've never thought about it before. Instead of saying, on earth as it is in heaven, do you realize we're supposed to make it even more personal than that? So that we could literally say and literally pray, at Journey Church as it is in heaven. We ought to have the expectation that even though we're growing and we're not there yet, but Journey Church ought to be a place, literally, at Journey Church, as it is in heaven. Let's take it even further, though. See, I I, I need to pray it this way, and you you have to personalize it for yourself, but I'd say it this way. In the Phillips house, as it is in heaven. So that when you're around my family, you're experiencing a taste of heaven. I can say it even further, in my thought life, as it is in heaven. Do you realize that's the kind of prayer he's asking us to pray? And also, do you realize that that we ought to have the expectation that it's not just a prayer we pray, but it's a reality we can see? See, God wants us to be heaven franchises. God wants heaven franchises all over the planet. It's called churches. It's called you and me. We are carriers of the presence of heaven. Isn't that exciting? Do you realize you're not just supposed to go to church? (laughs) 
You realize you're not just supposed to read your Bible and that's it and check it off and go through your devotion. No, you are supposed to be walking, living, breathing heaven franchises. Isn't that exciting? See, if you are bored being a Christian, you aren't doing it right. You missed the whole point. And, and, and so this is, this is what it's all about. In the book of Acts, we could say it this way, that the hot sign was on in the book of Acts. When people drove by the church in the book of Acts, they're like, man, hot sign is on. Revival must be happening. We see it in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And this is a picture of heaven. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God, having favor with all the people. The Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. We see in Acts chapter 5, people are like, something is happening over there. It seems like crazy and real and awesome. I don't even know if I want to go over there. It seems so different. What were they? They were a heaven franchise. God had placed them on the planet so that people could go, when they get around them, they could taste a bit of heaven. They could literally taste a bit of heaven. And, and so we are called to be heaven franchises. Now, why does this matter from the perspective of the broken, beaten man? It matters this, in this way. Because the church looks most like heaven when everyone is involved. Because in heaven, there's not going to be a fractured part of the body. In heaven, it's not going to be that way. And I can say it this way. Something is missing if you, don't, if you don't show up. We don't quite look like we should. We don't quite complete the picture if you don't show up. And I'm not talking about attending church. I'm talking about becoming a part of the life of what God is doing. You realize you, maturity happens when you realize that you are an indispensable part of the body of Christ. When you realize that if you don't show up, something's missing. If you don't bring you, that some part of the picture is missing. It, something is missing. And it reminds me of this movie that, that many of you guys have seen and probably see every year. Okay? And it reminds me of this scene of this movie when, when someone finally realizes that if I don't show up, Something missing. Let's watch. Are you sure this is Bailey Park? No, I'm not sure of anything anymore. All I know is this should be Bailey Park. But where are the houses? We weren't here to build them. Your brother, Harry Bailey, broke through the ice and was drowned at the age of nine. That's a lie. Harry Bailey went to war. He got the Congressional Medal of Honor. He saved the lives of every man on that transport. Every man on that transport died. Harry wasn't there to save them because you weren't there to save Harry. You see, George, you really had a wonderful life. Don't you see what a mistake it would be to throw it away? Clarence. Yes, George? Where's Mary? Oh, well, I, I can't... Uh... I don't know how you know these things, but tell me, where is she? I'm if you not... know where she is, tell me where my wife is. I'm not supposed to tell. Please, Clarence, tell me where she is. You're not going to like it, George. Where is she? She's an old maid. 
She never married. Where is Mary? Where is she? she Where is she? She's just about to close up the library. There must be some easier way for me to get my wings. How <laughs> many you guys have seen that before? Yeah, see, that kind of paints a picture that there are things that you are supposed to do. There's a piece that you're supposed to bring to the table. There's a part that you're supposed to play. And many people do not fully participate in the life of the body or in this picture of, of being a heaven franchise as a church or a local body or even a wider expression of that because they're fractured. And so I want you to get this, that to live, how are we going to live this way and, and to live the future way? Because God wants us to live the future way now. How are we going to do that? And I believe, very practical, and I just really want to drill down on this, but to live the future way, we have to increase our pain tolerance. And I don't mean just being numb to pain. I don't mean just like, avoid, you're like I don't mean that. I, we're going to get into this, but some of us, feel disconnected from the body and we're praying for more connection and yet we're offended that people haven't connected with us. Listen, if you're offended that people have not connected with you, don't pray for more connection because you haven't even got to the first level. Because I'm telling you, whenever you get connected with people, that's when the real pain starts. I'm just laying it out straight here, okay? It's when we get in relationship that that's when really, and again, it's not all bad pain. I'm just saying that some of us are, are even avoiding any kind of pain at all. And listen, whenever you get into a relationship with people, there's going to be what we call growing pains, right? In fact, we see this in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13. It says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to, listen to this, this is going to be a hard word, we have to grow up. We have to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Watch, and this is what it looks like, from whom the whole body is joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. What's this saying here? That if each part isn't working properly, the body of Christ's growth is stunted. It's not going to grow like it should because everybody is here to pay, play a part. And so if you want to grow up into all things, let me just say there will be some growing pains. And we have to begin to increase our pain tolerance to be able to adjust for that. How many of you guys have ever been to the doctor and you saw the little pain chart and it was like faces, right? You like have a happy face and it goes all the way to like an ugly face, right? And, and you have to pick which one you're feeling. How many of you guys have ever had to do that before? Yeah, that's a lot of fun. Whenever you're faced with one of those, you know you're not having necessarily a good day because you're having to choose which one. But if I were to have each one of you, and I put it up, and I were to have each one of you choose where you're at in life right now, kind of get in your mind where you'd be. Because some of you are on the happy side. Some of you over here, Claire, are on this side. Some of you are at different points. Here's, here's an interesting thought. See, it's all subjective. That whole pain scale is based on what you rate pain at. So in other words, a level four pain to you may be a level two pain to someone else. 
pain is subjective. Pain is different for every person, at least their perception is. So what does that mean? That means your perception of pain can change. Your level of tolerance for pain can change. It's called growing up. I'll give you an example of this. When I was in junior high, which ought to be outlawed. If I, when I was in junior high, I had one day when I, I, I finally noticed that there were females on the planet and I wanted them to like me, okay? And this particular day, I realized about halfway through the day, usually around gym class, that I had forgot to put on my deodorant for the day. <laughs> and I, it, was like, it was like the worst day ever. I'd rather have bamboo shoots stuck up my toenails than have to go through that again, right? But if that were to happen to me today, which it didn't, by the way, but if that were to happen to me today, I wouldn't care so much. It may just cause you to keep out of my personal space a little bit more. That might be the fruit of that, and I'd be all right with that, you know? Why? Because my level of what used to ruin my life, I grew up a little bit. And now it's not going to ruin my day. It's not going to ruin my life, okay? And some of us are still reacting to pain the same way we did years ago. And our pain tolerance has not increased. We have not grown up. And so let me just put it this way. How you respond to pain will either lift the lid off your growth or be the limiter of your growth. Let me say it again. How you respond to pain will either lift the lid off your growth or become the limiter of your growth. And so there's a couple things we've got to wrestle with when we're dealing with relational pain. We're dealing with, with this pain. And, and so I want to give you a couple things to wrestle with. First of all is this. We have to discern the purpose of our pain. Why is the pain even there? Because some of us are experiencing pain in life and we haven't even taken time to discern why we're experiencing the pain. And so we assume why. Because you realize that there's good and there's bad pain. If I'm out lifting weights or if I'm running, do you realize there is some pain that is like, it's, I'm experiencing pain, but I need to continue to push through it because it's not a bad pain. It's just a good pain that I've got to push through because I'm growing, right? There's other pain that I need to stop. And I need to, because I'm injuring myself because of this pain. Have you guys know what I'm talking about? We have to learn the difference. And how, how many times... Just because pain is present in our life, do we avoid pain that's actually necessary for our growth? And we stop shaking the hands and we take, we take a step back that's actually necessary for our growth. So I'm going to give you a few things, a few questions to ask yourself that might help locate why you are experiencing pain. Okay, you ready for this? Here's the first thing. Is this pain the result of sin in my life? Do you realize that some pain that you experience is simply the result? You, you know, you want to blame it on somebody else. Maybe, have you guys have ever been mad at somebody and, and, and you, you figured out later on, I mean, you were mad for a long time and you figured out they didn't even know you were mad at them? How do you guys know what I'm talking about? And so you actually, you'd experienced pain for months that was actually a result of sin in your heart, the sin of bitterness. See, some of the pain we're experiencing is actually sin we fashioned with our own hand. We may experience pain in a lot of different ways. All right, next thing is this. Is this pain the result of obeying God? Do you realize that sometimes God asks us to do stuff that can at first be painful? We don't want to do it. <laughs> it's challenging. It's, it causes, I mean, sometimes we take up our cross. How many times have we avoided obeying God because of the pain or the cost that was involved? 
No, we, we can't avoid that kind of pain. Another question is this. Is this, the pain, is this pain the result of living in the fallen world? Because even though we ha- are, are a heaven franchise, sometimes we bump up against the fallen world. Sometimes we're, we're still bumping up against people that are living out of that mindset or whatever. Sometimes we just encounter pain because of that. Next question is this. Is this pain the result of growing? And this is one of the hardest pains to discern. Because we want to blame other people, we want to blame other things, but we rarely want to say, I'm experiencing pain because I'm in a growth season right now. And this is probably the most important thing. These are like spiritual stretch marks, people, okay? This is like what it's like. Last one is this. Is this the pain? Is this pain the result of the enemy trying to become at work in our life? And if so, when you finally recognize that, you can take, how many of you guys know we can have authority over the enemy, right? But a lot of times we allow the enemy at work in our life and in our heart and in our mind and in our thoughts because we have ascribed it to some other thing, okay? So we have to discern the purpose of our pain or at least the source of our pain. And when you, when you properly do that, then you can properly deal with the pain. And that leads us to the next thing, which is this. We have to discover the opportunity in our pain. Because there will be pain in life, and we have to discover where the opportunity is in our pain. And one of my favorite examples of this is found in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 16. And this is a famous story in the Bible. You guys know that Paul and Silas, they're out preaching the gospel. They get caught. They get beaten up. They get thrown in prison. That's a bad day, right? I mean, they're beaten up. They're thrown in prison. And then we catch up to them in verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake. So the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened. Everyone's bonds were unfastened. And when the jailer woke and he saw the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, said, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for the lights and rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas and Brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Have you guys have heard that story before? Most people have, probably. Okay. The jailer almost kills himself. Why? Why would he do that? Because it, according to Roman law, in that day, basically, if a prisoner escaped on your watch, you as the jailer responsible would now receive the punishment that that prisoner should have got. So this guy knew what was coming to the disciples, and he decided he'd rather die by his own means than by what was getting ready to happen to them. That just kind of shows you how dire of a situation these disciples were in, these apostles were in. And I used to think that here these disciples are in this big problem. They're in this, they've been beaten up, they've been thrown in prison, and now here God sends an earthquake sets them free, and brings them, delivers them out of this situation. How do you guys think that's kind of how the story goes? That's how I have always thought the story would go. Until I realized that that's not really what the Bible says. It's really not what happens. You know, they were, if it was supposed to happen this way, they're in a bad situation, they're in pain, God sends an earthquake, they get set free, now they're out of problems. Then they would have taken off. But they stayed. If the purpose of the earthquake was for them to be set free, why did they stay? Because the Bible never indicates that this earthquake was sent by God to set them free. The Bible just says there was an earthquake that did. 
In fact, this could have just been a natural occurrence happening that day. I, I don't know. But what I do know is if they were supposed, if the earthquake was supposed to set them free to get away, they didn't do a good job of it. Because they stayed around and they led someone to Christ. They stuck around. So what did they do? They found the opportunity in the midst of their pain. How many of us, if we were in this same situation, we're in a painful situation, and all of a sudden the circumstances changed for us to get out of the painful situation, that's the first thing we would have done, right? Because we haven't discerned the opportunity and discovered the opportunity where God has placed us. Do you realize there may be, wherever Jesus is, there's an opportunity. And I can tell you, wherever you are, Jesus is. And so you have to discern the opportunity. And then number three, we have to decide a new response to our pain. If I were to take somebody up here and I just said, here, sit your hand down here. And I took a hammer and I just smashed your hand with a hammer. First of all, how many of you guys felt that when I said that, right? <laughs> how many of you guys, most people would have an involuntary reaction of saying something like, ow, right? You wouldn't even have to think about it. Some of you might say something else. We'll discover how real Christian you are, right? And, you know, just like we can have you guys want to volunteer for that. No, you would have a response, a default response. Do you realize that that's not just in physical pain? Every single one of us has a default response to any type of pain. And in our own way, we automatically say, ow. And so we have to notice that and, and look at our lives. How are we, what is our default response to pain? What's my default response when a relationship doesn't go my way? What's my default response when a, a church leader walks on by? What's my default response when, when the body of Christ doesn't fit what I think it should? What's my default owl? And then we decide by the power of the Holy Spirit, inviting it to work at the deep places to grow up into maturity. That's where God is calling us to do. He's calling us to do. What, what if we decided that we were going to change our response to pain? How do we do that? Well, the, the last section I just really want to hit is going to help us determine how to do that. But to do that, I mean, we're in our series called Won't You Be My Neighbor? So I thought it'd be all right if I let Mr. Rogers preach to you, okay? So we're going to just listen to Pastor Rogers. He's going to tell us how. Let's go. But you know, the toughest thing is to love somebody who has done something mean to you, especially when that somebody has been yourself. Have you ever done anything mean to yourself? Well, it's very important to look inside yourself and find that loving part of you. That's the part that you must take good care of and never be mean to because that's the part of you that allows you to love your neighbor. And your neighbor is anyone you happen to be with at any time of your life. Respecting and loving your neighbor can give everybody a good feeling. How many of you guys just want to have a peanut butter sandwich and take a nap now? Anybody? <laughs> Me too. Just, it's kind of my default response to that. Um, <laughs> he, he said something pretty key there that I really want to hit on. And, and he said, look inside. 
That's the part you must take care of. See, the future way of the kingdom is something you enter. Like we come through the door of Jesus, we enter the kingdom of God, the reign and the rule of God. But it's also something that enters us. The kingdom culture enters us. And one of my favorite examples of this is King David. Well, he wasn't king. He was just a teenager keeping watch over sheep. He didn't even make the cut to come in to the tryout for king. He didn't even make the cut. Finally, they bring him in and they say, all right, 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 13. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And watch this. This is the good part of the story. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. Remember, he's a teenager. He doesn't become king until he's like 30 years old. Okay, But from that day forward, the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. And so in one sense, he entered kingship in that moment, even though he wasn't a king. But the Spirit of God rushed on him. The identities and the values of kingly rulership all, rulership also entered David at that time. And at the same time, they left King Saul. They had already left King Saul. So that years later, as, as King Saul is jealous and he's hunting down David before David's king, trying to kill him off so that he won't become king, He's doing it relentlessly, unfairly. I mean, all this stuff. And then all of a sudden, David and his men are in a cave. And King Saul comes in. And his men say, here's your opportunity. Take him out now. David goes up, cuts a little piece off of his robe. And he comes back and says, I'm not going to touch the Lord's anointed. So that even when David is not king yet, he's acting more like a king in a cave than King Saul was. He understood something about kingly values and about royalty so that the, the spirit of the Lord or the kingdom entered in. The, the kingdom that David was going to, to be king of had already entered on the inside of him. Do you realize that's supposed to happen to us? That the kingdom of God that one day will be completely in its fullness, like visibly and every, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, that is supposed to enter into us now. That, those values, the kingdom is something you enter and something that enters you. Luke chapter 17, verse 20. Now when he asked, we was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say, See here or see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. I could say it this way. The world you allow on the inside determines the level of inside, influence you will have on the outside. The world you allow to be created on the inside of you determines the level of influence you will have externally. And I could say it in another way, that you will never experience heaven on earth until you experience heaven on the inside. Until you allow the kingdom culture of God to come and reign and rule on the inside of your heart. Until you allow the values of the kingdom. Why is that? Because we will always right-size our external world back down to the true level of our internal world. If, if 10,000 people came to Journey Church next week, guess what? Eventually we would right-size, the church would right-size back down to our true level of leadership and stewardship and shepherding capabilities. 
eventually it would right-size back down to where we're truly able to steward. And maybe if we were able to steward that, we would be able to hold on to it. But if we're not, then it would right-size. Do you realize that your business is always going to right-size back down to your true level of leadership capability and capacity? You could expand and you could take a jump and you could take all that stuff, but eventually it's going to right-size down to what you're really able. Do you realize your finances if you were given a million dollars that you were not expected, and it will eventually right-size down to your true level of stewardship ability that you have on the inside of you. Why is it that lottery winners seem to lose all their money? It's because they were not living internally in a way that could handle money. They were buying lottery tickets, after all. I mean, if you're buying them, great, you know, to start stewarding that inside so you can hang on to it. But somebody once said that, all the money in the world, if you were to spread it out evenly across every single person, all the money in the world. So imagine all the money in the world. Now we gave everybody an equal amount. Somebody once said that it would eventually return in five years to what it once was. Because on the inside of each and every one of us is the true level of stewardship capability that we've developed or allowed on the inside of us. So why does that apply to us? Because... If we want to be a part of the body, we are eventually going to, we're always going to right-size our relationships back down to our true level of love on the inside of us. We're always going to right-size our, our faith capacity down to the true level of stewardship that we've had on the inside of us. And some of us, we want to go further in God. We want to, maybe you want a promotion at work. Maybe you want to, to go somewhere in ministry or whatever it is. I heard this quote, and uh, I'm going to have the worship team come back up as we put this up. But this really spoke to me. Before God promotes me to the next level, I have to already be walking in that higher level of anointing and authority, but without the position and title. And so, many, so many of us just say, man, if I could just have that position, or if I could just take that, you know, get that opportunity. No, you have to be walking in that internally maybe many years before it happens. And that's exactly what David did. And this applies in every area of our life. But can I tell you, it especially applies to our participation in the body of Christ. Because God wants to connect us and to rightly fit us together. He wants to bring healing to our hearts. But you know, before anybody else gives you that opportunity or comes and picks you up off the side of the road, you have to do something on the inside of yourself and allow the kingdom of heaven to come in. And you have to be the type of person on the inside that when someone says, would you forgive me, that you're already prepared to forgive. That when somebody comes along and, and you realize that you've done damage to somebody, that you can, be the he you can be health and healing to that person. You have to have that already on the inside of you years maybe before you have the opportunity to step into that. You know what this is called? It's called growing up. It's called growing up. Sometimes it's painful to grow up. But I can tell you that when you grow up, God can use you in ways that he never could had you not. How do you guys want to grow up into all things? Amen. And here's the last thing I'm just going to say in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 8. Now, therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, watch this, from following the sheep. Can you see how insignificant this sounds? David, you were just following sheep around. 
that you might be prince over my people Israel. And here's the message for us. When Jesus died on the cross, he paid the price for our sins. You realize that he didn't just take a negative, erase sin, all that type of stuff, and bring us to a neutral point. But he added a positive. See, sometimes we just think, okay, God took care of my sins, and he he erased my sins, and now I'm even. No, he added a positive. He, he, He didn't just bring the balance to zero. He added a positive. He didn't just take David from the pasture of insignificance to have a normal life. No, he took him to live a royal life. He doesn't just want to save us just so we can go to church. He wants to save us so we can be a heaven franchise. He he wants to, he he didn't just erase our debt so that we didn't owe anymore. Do you realize that God essentially put money in our bank? He gave us something to give out. And that's the beautiful thing about God. That's the beautiful thing about the gospel. I want to stand up and as we close, have a stand up and I want to do something. And we're going to make some declarations. And I want you guys to say this out loud, okay? Because I'm going to say, at Journey Church, as it is in heaven. And I want you all to say it with me, okay? One, two, three. At Journey Church, as it is in heaven. And I'm going to say, in the Phillips house, as it is in heaven. Now, you're going to have to insert your own family name right there. But I want you to declare that right now over your house or whatever you want to declare. Okay, right now. One, two, three. Now, now just put your hand on your heart or something and just say, in, in my life as it is in heaven, in my life as it is in heaven, in my thoughts as it is in heaven, in my heart. God, I just pray right now that you would put a desire on the inside of us, that we wouldn't just be satisfied with worldly things. But Lord, we would be the type of people that would be willing to step out in faith and say, God, I'm willing to be a heaven franchise. I'm willing to be a part of this thing called the body, called the church. Lord, let let it be in liberty as it is in heaven, in Gladstone as it is in heaven, in Lawson as it is in heaven, in North Kansas City as it is in heaven, in Independence as it is in heaven. Lord, wherever you're at, just declare that over your city right now, just because that's our purpose is to, until Jesus comes, we are to do the best we can to turn this place into heaven now. So, Lord, I just declare that right now over each and every person. Lord, we want to rearrange the pieces to fit your will in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship him one more time.